Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. To learn more about Believer's Church, where our mission is to lead broken people to become fully devoted followers of Christ, you can visit our website at believerschurch.tv. Listen in as Pastor Matt Smith brings this week's message. We are excited about the opportunity to be back together again tomorrow on May the 24th. This is actually not the service that is recorded on May the 24th. We have made the decision uh, through COVID-19 and with children being in the church and also children being in our service because we're not going to be having kids ministry for just a little while that sometimes that can be a little bit distracting. And we know that some people have a hard time paying attention through that. We know that also some people are not comfortable coming back to church yet. We also know that people are listening from other areas, including our area, that may not be comfortable yet with the idea of church. So what we're doing is we're developing a podcast uh, that will be out and released shortly, as well as messages right now that we're placing on our website that you can listen to so that you can continue to keep up with this series that we're in right now, which is Eternity is Now in Session. And today we're in part three of this seven-week series uh, that we're so excited about. And we're discussing in Eternity is Now in Session, salvation, eternal life, and what it means to be and get to the good place. We want to highlight what I'm calling some of the important misconceptions about what it means to know Jesus and what it means to speak of heaven and eternity. Last week was a very important week. I want to encourage you to go back and listen to that if you do have an opportunity because we discussed what most people are looking for or calling minimum entrance requirements. And we got a lot of feedback from people, uh, people reaching out to me saying, Matt, there is no question that whenever I look at salvation and whenever I look at heaven, I actually am living by minimum entrance requirements. And they say a prayer that is often like an entrance application to get into heaven, and that's it. So what we want to do is we want to deconstruct this idea of simply making the cut, but not really uh, caring uh, about making our lives better or living into a completely new way of life, which is what is required of us. So what we're going to assume after the first two parts of this series, what we're going to assume is that you are ready to turn everything over, and today we're actually going to begin this discussion of what eternal life is supposed to look like. And this is what we're going to use the last five weeks of this seven-week series to do. So we opened up talking about breaking news, what it's supposed to mean. We then went to this idea of minimum entrance requirements, which is what a lot of people are trying to live by. And this entire spiritual experience that we live by can be summed up in two words. And these are two words that I want you to focus on two words that I want you to really think about, two words that can completely transform your life if you will allow it. And here are these two words, follow me. And this is what Jesus mentions over and over again is this radical idea of following him. All right, so we're talking about deconstructing some important concepts. The New Testament only uses the word Christian three times. 
but we use it often as self-identification. On a regular basis, if people ask you about your religious faith and you go to church on a regular basis, you will often refer to yourself as a Christian when in actuality, this was actually derogatory language in the New Testament. For example, someone would look at someone else and say, oh, there's one of those Christians. It was not used in a positive, uplifting way, yet it's been carried out over the centuries. So the New Testament only uses the word Christian three times. The New Testament uses the word disciple 269 times. As Dallas Willard wisely said, the New Testament is a book about disciples, by disciples, and for disciples. So Christianity was never intended, it was actually never intended to produce Christians, just disciples. And we see this over and over again. So maybe we could provide a more accurate picture by framing this eternity question around disciple language. And that's what I want us to do today. And what you're going to recognize is that whenever we use disciple language over the course of the next five weeks, as well as a continuation into the future of Believer's Church, it's going to look very different than the typical church language that is often used. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16 today. If you do want to turn there in your Bible, if you want to be in Matthew chapter 16, we're going to actually look at verses 24 through 28. And what I want to do really quickly is give you a little bit of a background of what this passage actually looks like and what's going on prior to what we're going to read. All right, so prior to today's passage, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, or what we could look at and call the ancient religious elite, have been testing Jesus and asking him for a sign. All right, this is a common theme in the New Testament and the Gospels that we see over and over again. If you are the Son of God, if you are this great rabbi, if you are this teacher, if you are a prophet, as some people are claiming, prove it. The disciples are learning more. And Peter has just done something huge, all right? This is huge. He has made the claim that Jesus is the Messiah that they've been waiting for. And this is, I I can't even emphasize how big and how important this is because it's increasing or elevating, as we are going to see, it's increasing or elevating their learning. And he gives a glimpse of what life looks like when eternity is actually in session. So Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 28, and let me go ahead and tell you, this is very, very tough scripture. And the majority of people who are actually in church, they actually completely miss this. They read over this, or they see it as cute, something that is maybe good for some people, but not necessarily something that they consider living by in their own life. So Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to look at verses uh, 24 through 28. So again, what I'm asking you to do is to try for just a second to forget about everything that you've been taught and just listen to this simple language that Jesus gives his disciples and he also gives us as disciples today. Again, we're going back and asking the question, what does it mean to speak of eternity and heaven 
and the good life. What does this mean? Jesus answers. Then Jesus said to his disciples, all who want to come after me or follow me must say no to themselves and take up their cross and follow me. All who want to save their lives, all who want to have this incredible life, this life that you dream of, will lose them. But all who lose their lives because of me will find them. Why would people gain the whole world, everything in it, everything that you ever possibly could desire, but lose their lives? What will people give in exchange for their lives? For the human one, which also is translated, you often see it as the son of man, for the human one is about to come down with his majesty, with the majesty of the Father and with his angels. And then he will repay each for what that person has done. I assure you that some of you standing here won't die before you see the human one or the son of man coming into his kingdom. Okay, so for me, this is one of the most central passages in all of Scripture, and I have taught this passage over and over. If I had to pick the one passage that I've probably taught on more than anything else in the Bible, it is probably this portion right here in Matthew chapter 16. This is the call of the disciple. Okay, so Jesus is revealing what that heaven and eternity aren't futuristic ideas that we're looking forward to way down the road, but instead kingdom now ideas that we must adhere to in this time and in this place, in this space that we are given to live right now. Remember, we've echoed it over and over again, it's not about getting you into heaven, it's about heaven getting into you. It's about bringing what's up there down here so that you can experience life here. Okay, so let's just assume. Now, you have to work with me here, okay? Let's just assume that we're not called to be Christians as we understand the term, as we've often been taught, but instead to be disciples as defined in the Gospels. So let's attempt to unlearn some of the language that we've been taught. And I tell students all the time when I'm teaching, it's not difficult to learn. It's not difficult for any of us to learn important things, but it's really, really hard to unlearn. It's very important which, when we get to a certain state in our lives, our 20s, 30s, and as we get older, this becomes even more difficult to unlearn some things. So what if, again, just, just, just hang with me here, what if a lot of the things that we've been taught about eternity, about heaven, about when these ideas begin are actually not completely true? And what if embracing discipleship and learning what it means to follow Jesus in the here and now as a beginning stage of heaven is what it's all about? What if it is more than a prayer? 
What if it is more than a one-time commitment that you maybe made years ago, but haven't given a lot more thought to since that time? So there are three primary requirements for what it means to be a disciple. And all of these are found in verse 24. And this is everything. Take this with you today as you analyze where you are in your life right now. Okay, so here they are. The three primary characteristics for the disciple. Jesus outlines these in verse 24. Say no to self. Take up your cross. Follow me. All right, again, say no to self. Take up your cross and follow me. Now, in part three, what we want to do is we just want to break these down and look at these and analyze each one for just a minute. So the first one that we have here is to say no to self. Some translations, a lot of translations that you're going to read will say, deny yourself. Okay, this has become a great problem for people of all generations and all times. This isn't something new. It's not like all of a sudden it's really hard to set aside the things that you really care about. The plans that you made for your life, the kind of job that you wanted to have, the number of kids that you wanted to have, the kinds of vacations that you wanted to be able to take, all of these things in your life. What if you were told, and I want you to think about how radical this concept is. What if you were told that you were actually supposed to say no to self? And not say no to self on some things, but to actually say no to self on all things, and that that is actually required for being a disciple. This idea of follow me means that you can't carry anything along with you. So in order to live in the kingdom of God or eternal life, I must take the things that I want the most and that I care about the most, and deny myself of their pleasure and their sense of fulfillment. I must accept, and this is very difficult for people, but I must accept that I am not in control of my destiny. And even people who believe that they are in control of their destiny, this control is a complete illusion. I would argue that this is the stopping place for 99% of the people that ever hear this message. And maybe for the people that are listening today and the people that are going to be with us in church tomorrow, maybe for many of those people who are wonderful churchgoers, and for that matter, a lot of them wonderful people, maybe this is the stopping point for the majority of them. That the second that they hear, and they may not recognize that they do it, but that the second that they hear that they are supposed to say no to self or that they are supposed to deny self, that is the point in which they walk away because what we want is heaven accompanied by our way. We want to try to work heaven or eternity into our plan for life. This is what we called last week the minimum entrance requirements. And again, a lot of times we don't even necessarily recognize that this is what we're doing when it is, in fact, what we're doing. 
And I am no different than anyone that is listening today. I am no different in any way because I am a super planner. In every single little area of my life, I had two or three year plans. I had five year plans. I had retirement plans. And one thing that Beth and I have joked about since we started following Jesus closely together is that nothing that we have ever planned has worked out. Nothing. We've had wonderful intentions. We've had things that we've planned to do. We've also recognized the way most people measure success is not the way success is measured in the kingdom of God. So I had this view that a lot of you have that that, uh, if God could fit into these plans... That was wonderful. All right, this is where I'm going to work. This is what I'm going to do. This is how life's going to go. This is how we're going to raise our kids. And you know what? If God can fit into what I want to do, that's wonderful. But he certainly wasn't going to disrupt these plans. I wasn't going to give him permission to disrupt what I wanted to do. And quite frankly, for a long time, and I think a lot of people are in this place, they don't think God wants to get in the way. You know, if they meet that person, it doesn't matter if they're living in some form of sin. It doesn't matter if they're struggling in a certain area. If they feel reasonably happy, that must be what God wants for their lives. And it couldn't be further from the truth. So some of my goals for life, some of the things that that were important to me in my early 20s. uh, Teaching at a college, I got a, a, a great job at a college in Kentucky. Travel the world. We were fortunate to travel. I was able in my, in my late 20s and early 30s to go to 20 countries. And it was our goal to be able to take our kids, instead of buying a lot of material things or having a lot of the things that are important to many Americans, we wanted to be able to give our kids a deep cultural experience and be able to travel a lot around the world. Then, of course, buy the things that I wanted, focus internally on my family, And eventually, one day, we talked about retiring and moving overseas. We actually talked about moving to southern France and um, opening up a small business. That's kind of how we saw our life going. And we were starting to prepare for some of those things. We had plans. We had long-term plans. But here's what happened. As I moved closer and closer to Jesus... I recognized that what I wanted for my life was a complete impossibility because it didn't line up with what God wanted for my life. And if I'm going to be completely honest with you, this hurt badly. Now, I would love to tell you that I experienced a tremendous amount of joy. Okay, God, I've given all of those things up for you. Now I'm going to follow you like I'm supposed to. Now I'm going to trust you. But the truth is, there was a mourning experience when I recognized that I may not be able to buy the kind of house that I wanted because I was supposed to be more generous with my money. Or when I recognized that we were not going to be able to travel the way that we want to or have kids on the timeline that we actually wanted to be able to have these kids. Everything in our lives were completely disrupted. And there is a painful process. This is what I want you to understand. 
there is a painful process that the disciple must face of letting go of things. Of letting go of some of the people that are in our lives. Of letting go of places. Of letting go of some of our plans. You see, saying yes to ministry was saying no to self. Because if I am being completely and fully honest, being a pastor was not something that I desired. Making giving to the local church a priority was saying no to self. Going to seminary in my mid-30s when I thought I had enough schooling. And you see, at this point, I had no, I had no student debt. But making the decision to go to seminary was saying no to self. Moving to Tennessee when I was happy in Kentucky was saying no to self. I told my wife whenever we got married almost nine years ago, I told her one thing that you need to understand that I will never do is that we are not moving back to East Tennessee. I'm happy here. And if we don't live here, there's a lot of other places that I'd like to go to. There's other, other experiences that I'd like to venture. And this was never anything against home. It was never anything against Tennessee. It was more kind of a been there, done that. Now I'm ready to go on to other things. And I've learned in my life that I no longer say, no, I will never do this about anything. So this becomes a lifestyle as Jesus shows us a deeper sense of self. You do not want to miss what you were created to be. And the truth is, the reality is that I am so much happier in this experience of human flourishing and fulfillment and being whole is so much more present and so much more real to me because I've made the decision to say no to self. So that's hard enough in itself, but requirement number two is really just a continuation of saying no to self. It's really, in a lot of ways, the same thing, even though Jesus phrases it a little bit different, and it's take up your cross. All right, take up your cross. Literally the opposite of simply wanting to go to heaven when we die is taking up our cross because we are asked to take up our cross daily. All right, Jesus does not tell the disciples, simply take up your cross on Shabbat or Sabbath. Or a lot of times what we would look at is when we come to church on Sunday. He says, take up your cross daily. And taking up our cross means that we are in a perpetual state of dying to the things that we care about. Okay, I'm going to say that one more time. Taking up our cross means that we are in a perpetual state of dying to the things that we care about. Because when we take up our cross, it means that we have to put everything else in our lives down. So think about the implications here. Think about what this looks like. And think about what this means. This is the opposite of any form of minimum entrance requirements. 
This is the opposite of simply praying a prayer, assuming that we're going to go to heaven when we die, and then living our lives the way that we want to. Going to a church in our, in our area, in our region, getting baptized, assuming everything is okay, and living our lives the way we want to. No, Jesus says very specifically, follow me. And it is going to cost you everything. Corey Tim Boone said this, and I love this. She said, hold everything in your hands lightly. Otherwise, it hurts when God has to pry your fingers open. That's how real this life is. This issue is that some people uh, go their entire lives, the issue is that some people go their entire lives believing everything is okay. And they've never had the regular and perpetual experience of dying to self. As it pertains to religion, people often believe there is a private self and then there is a public self. Okay, the public self is where we maintain a certain image in which we're good people. And in the private life, in the darkness where character is really developed, we're going to do whatever we want to do. If that's a form of addiction to alcohol or drugs or pornography or spending or whatever that might look like, if it's simply playing church and going to church and, and, and trying to give the, the, maybe the uh, impression to other people that you're a good person, when actually inside you're an absolute mess, and saying no to self and taking up our cross is part of a primary calling that every single person that calls themselves a follower of Jesus or uses the phrase Christian is called to do. This is the only way to embrace the new. And we do this through the third thing. The third thing which ties everything together, and it's to follow Jesus. You see, Jesus never said, believe the right things about me, and then you'll go to heaven when you die. Belief is critical. Faith, as it's understood in Greek, is critical. But there was never simply a believe something, the way that, same way that you believe that your car will run, all right, the same way that you believe you can make your next um, house payment, the same way that you believe you can make it to the gas station before you run out of gas. No, it's an actual turn in our lives. So he never actually says, believe the right things about me, and you'll go to heaven when you die. But he did say over and over again, follow me. See, this is the kind of teaching and learning that is largely lost in our 21st century Western context. Okay, so allow me to explain so that whenever we use language like follow me, it can make more sense. For starters, Jesus didn't invent this follower, teacher, or student, teacher system. All right, he's a product of Judaism in his time. All of the good teachers, rabbis, had students. And the word disciple actually means student, learner, or apprentice. So we start in this place where we understand that we must learn from Jesus. 
Consider how this language is often translated as an apprenticeship. An apprentice is any program, or an apprenticeship is any program where we learn a job or a skill for a period of time under a teacher or skilled professional. Over time, through discipline and through hard work, the apprentice learns the skill. You see, this is exactly what is expected of us. Like the disciples in the first century, it is the expectation and the understanding that we read the text and that we learn at the feet of Jesus. And we begin over time through this process of learning, of becoming who he was becoming and who he was when he walked this earth in his three and a half year public ministry. So instead of this close learning and following We often follow Jesus like he has an Instagram account. Okay, we throw in a like on occasion. We may scroll through his pictures. We watch his stories. And then we tell other people we follow Jesus. We assume that that's all all there is. He requires a form of following that is much like, we could use an example of an electrician apprenticeship. Okay, now listen, get this very closely. You follow on the job. You learn from experience how the expert does it. And then you do as the expert did through your own learning and experience. So the question that I have for you guys today is how would you describe the way that you follow. Some of you fell into that category that we talked about last week with minimum entrance requirements. Is that where you are? Are you following Jesus like you would follow a celebrity or even a friend on Instagram? Or is it like an apprenticeship? Is it like something that you are, the discipline that you are taking serious to learn every single day so that you can discover more and more and more and more of what you were made for? This is what we're talking about whenever we say eternity is now in session. When we say that the right path is to bring what's up there, this perfect kingdom, down here. Well, this is what eternal life means. So we need to take our heart and our minds away from these futuristic ideas and concepts that one day I'm going to be there and start to recognize that that is simply a continuation of what we have started here. And quite frankly, the reason that people are so critical of the church the reason that the church is declining, the reason that religion has left such a bad taste in so many people's lives is because they've not taken the time to unlearn the faulty concepts that one day will be in heaven. And it can't begin here. Love your neighbor. Turn the other cheek. Resist the desire 
to retaliate. Love and help the poor. Pay attention to those who are struggling around you. You see, this is what it means to follow Jesus. It means that we do the things that Jesus did. You see, we often don't view our relationship with God this way. Instead, it's something that is very, very distant. What I want to encourage you to do is embrace this new mindset and this new way of following and this new way of seeing him. Because this is what eternity is all about. Father, we come to you and and just lift you up and praise you and thank you for the, the ability, because of the cross of Christ, the ability to follow. And God, my prayer and my hope for each of us at Believer's Church is to take the time to consider what we've been taught. And if we've not been taught anything at this point because of an unchurched upbringing, Father, we have such a fresh new place to start. Father, for those that are damaged, that are broken, I pray, God, that you help them to see you in a new light. And if something is not right in their heart, Father, that you pour your spirit upon them so that they can learn to follow as a disciple. We'll ask these things in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit our Believers Church Facebook page or our website at believerschurch.tv. If you enjoyed this message, please make sure to subscribe and join us next week as we continue our mission to lead broken people to become fully devoted followers of Christ.